Welcome to the Crypto Noobs podcast where we break down this new fascinating crypto world to make sure everyone new to it can understand it better. We think that by breaking down what feels noisy and complicated into first principles, we can all make better and more informed decisions. My name is Gabriel Riesco and I'll be co-hosting this podcast with my friend Alex Fuchs. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome to one episode more of our podcast. Hello, Alex. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Okay, so these past weeks, there's been a lot of heat on the regulation part of the crypto. Um, we have uh, the CEO of Coinbase uh, debating and kind of a little bit confrontational with the chairman of the SEC, Gary Gensler. Can you explain a little bit what's going on here? Sure. Um, I think it's been interesting to hear from both of them directly and indirectly. Some of them were on a few podcasts and also uh, on the social media. I think, and I think for the source materials, we'll put them in the show notes, but there's a great interview by Preet Bharara of Gary Gensler in his uh, podcast that um, just got issued as well as some other interviews of some of the people around. I think the concept of where we are going into the fourth quarter um, and looking at what are the forces at work is, is, is quite interesting, particularly on the regulatory side, right? So you have somebody who has been chairman of the SEC now for six months <clears throat> that you could argue has had a chance to kind of acclimate himself with. And again, this is somebody who was chairman of the Commodity and Future Trading Commission, so it's somebody who understands government and understands uh, private enterprise, uh, who was obviously a professor at MIT and quite knowledgeable about crypto and has published views and actually views that you can see on video on YouTube of what he thinks of a lot of the space. So in some ways, there's a lot of information there to try to get into the head of the person. And he also, it seems like he understands well that world too. Yes, exactly. Um and so without reading into too much of the tea leaves, and I think we covered that a little bit before, there is a sense from the regulator that uh, crypto generally defined is a bit of the Wild West, and there is likely coming going to be some actions. Now, the actions that they can take, just to go through the basics again, is that they can provide safe harbors and try to bring in people and explain to them what they need to meet and make public what are the targets that you need to meet in order to be able to operate a protocol or uh, a system. Uh, they can, as they did with XRP, take enforcement action and sue them. Again, the SEC is a civil agency. It doesn't look at criminality. It just looks to enforce, uh, what it sees as, as the, as, as the rules and regulation of, uh, of the market. So what's in, what's interesting there before we get into the details of reading into what could happen is to understand that obviously there's a very, very large, uh, <clears throat> spectrum of risks of projects of background of positioning of purposes across all these different crypto projects. And uh, just to start with the easiest, it seems that this week we got some confirmation that Bitcoin was most likely not going to be 
attacked in one or both of the ways the government could decide to try to attack it. So the way to think about it is that the SEC, which is there to govern securities markets and the CFTC derivatives, it does not look like they view Bitcoin as a security. They haven't said it directly, but there's nothing in the discussion uh, uh, that seems to point to the fact that they would look at it, and which would be very logical for them not to. There's there was no initial raise of capital. There's not a, an operating entity that's trying to accomplish anything with investor money. There's literally no nobody to go after. And, and to that point, I actually uh, I actually remember Gary Gensler. And I quote, saying that Satoshi Nakamoto came up with some real innovation. It's kind of um, that. It seems like more his personal view, but uh, but he's still the chairman. Yeah, it's interesting to hear it. Um, and then after that, there's a lot of information at the ground level in the XRP lawsuit, in the Ripple lawsuit. Uh, that kind of gives you some ideas of what the legal positioning is during the trial, which gives you insight into what the regulatory framework and thinking that they have. To summarize it all, it looks like the SEC kind of took a very aggressive stance, which is relatively more easily defensible by Ripple. So that's going to be a bit of a mess. The trial is likely to happen in the first quarter of next year. So there's, you know, unless there's a settlement, um, uh, and it would, well, in any case, we you know we covered that. Uh, sure, sure, sure. What I would focus more is like what's going on moving forward with this whole debate with Coinbase. There's a lot of like it, it's very vague. It's uh, it's a very gray area. It, it seems like they both want the same thing, but there but there's some miscommunication there. Um, yeah, I think. Just moving on again from, 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 I was trying to outline two data points, which is more, we have a little bit of clarity on Bitcoin. In XRP, there's all process. Now you have the rest of the field. Now the rest of the field encompasses a bunch of protocols that have all kinds of different purposes, of which some of these purposes have been identified by the SEC, by Gensler himself in his interviews, by the discussion around as areas in which they want to have more regulations. To be very specific, anything which is token swapping, anything where you can exchange in a decentralized way anonymously one token, Bitcoin, for another token, you know, whatever, uh, Cardano or whatever it is, these kind of... protocols are a problem for the SEC and also lending products or products that earn you a return have historically been considered notes under the act. And that's exactly one of the like bones of contention with, on with Coinbase. Coinbase yeah. Exactly. So Coinbase had a... The this, lending. The lending exactly. Part. So Coinbase had a product called Coinbase Lend that they actually had gone to the SEC, discussed, and when they were about to launch, finally at the... They had already discussed the product for a while, but when they were about to launch it, they went to check again, and they were told not to launch it. And I said that if they launched it, they would probably be sued. So, and then as a result of that, uh, Brian Armstrong and 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 Coinbase, more generally with this with the CFO, uh, sorry, CLO, uh, Chief Legal Officer, was very vocal about uh, having gone through this. So. From facts to opinion, it seems that the SEC has not yet decided 
or is in the process of organizing its response. It has not responded. It has not, it has engaged, it seems like, with different protocols. I think Coinbase made the point that they tried to go and talk to them directly and that Brian Armstrong himself as a CEO coming to Washington had tried to get a meeting with, uh, with the, the commission and uh, failed to do so. There clearly is, you know, it's a little bit like when you're in a deal and one of the party is not yet sure about what their negotiating position is or what their goals are. So there's still some work getting done on one side. For sure, um, it would seem that all the protocols are either running ahead and deciding to do things and then asking for forgiveness later or trying to figure out what's going to happen ex post facto, or Coinbase being in the middle as a public company, as an exchange, as you know, kind of a more central part, centralized part of the crypto system, is trying to get clarity, which it is not getting. So it's having to play the PR game as part of its effort to try to, 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 to get some clarity. Having said all that, let's move maybe to opinion or like what you read out of what we see. Um, what, one of the things that was striking to me in, in, in some of the things that, that Gensler said this week was that he looked at the $2 trillion crypto market as somewhat of a rounding error across everything that he has to do right. across securities and, 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 and larger markets. What that tells me is that he understands the immediacy and the problem and the technology need and the innovation, the excitement that is in crypto. But he probably sees his responsibility or his day is filled with meetings and subjects which are different from uh, that, whether it's, you know, all he, kinds of other stuff. Yeah, to that point, I think he said something on the terms that, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with like a hundred trillion dollar kind of regulation and environment and we're just talking with a little small like two trillion dollar um Part crypto crypto world kind exactly of, making a little a little fun there which is a fair point i mean we all yeah. take ourselves very seriously and we all think that we're in the middle of like some kind of fantastic battle and the guy on the other side is like yeah take your turn and you're at the dmv it is what it is, right? <laughs> yes, but it's on front lines, and it seems that it's it's affecting them. And it's although it's a two trillion dollar little thing, how he says, it seems that they're worried about it. Well, I think you know, I go back always to kind of again the macro view, right? Like, um, if you're going to kill something like this, you want to kill it early. So again, the point I was trying to make earlier is that the government has two roles here. One is to try to apply regulation or enforce regulation and try to figure it out. And we talked about last time how does the executive, the legislative, and the courts and all this can have different locus of fighting. Uh, but in that in that respect, we're only viewing what Gary Gensler believes is his role as a securities regulator along with the regulator generally trying to organize. And in that particular case, it seems that they don't look like they're going to go after Bitcoin. But certainly it would seem that some of the token swapping and some lending products, they're going to spend more time with understanding they have plenty of things to do and therefore they don't feel the, the urge to actually go out and do things. And they are devoting a lot of resources to the XRP trial. So it, you know, when you're looking at the control panel of all the things that you're doing, XRP itself in that fight is already taking a lot of oxygen out of room. There's the other role of the government, which is where the government itself decides that it has something at risk in letting Bitcoin exist, forgetting whether it's rational or not rational or fits rules or whatever it is. And on that front, Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve yesterday spoke and seemed to say that he was not going after Bitcoin either, that he felt that 
again, I think for him, it wasn't something which was all that important. It was just a speculative asset and just like, um, like any other speculative assets. What that tells me is that if you step back and you look at where we are, the big, some of the big fears that, the, that are out there that the government's going to, and Ray Dalio, for example, is on, uh, on the record saying that, uh, he believes in the second part of where the government's as a control freak would want to plug, they're going to kill it, that that's not a threat that's on the radar currently, or it's not being you know, or it, again, it's very difficult to say, but it doesn't look like there's a consensus. And we have to remember that as the number of people grow in the network, as more and more people use Bitcoin or hold Bitcoin, as it gets distributed, as there are more individuals holding $50, $100, $1,000 of Bitcoin, and it becomes more part of everybody's uh, saving and it is recommended by financial advisors, perhaps, and so on and so forth, as it is an ETF and any of these things, as we go down the line of adoption, it becomes harder and harder for a government to turn to its citizens and say, to protect you, I'm going to destroy something that you hold. Uh, they did it with XRP, but XRP, again, was very, very small. Uh, Bitcoin is significantly larger and, is, and, and has... Um, it, 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 this. You could argue that this would be the time for a government to signal this in order to delay, even while it's thinking of closing something down, this would be the time that you wouldn't signal it to the market in order to make sure that institutions and other people do not, you know, hold it in a way that becomes more difficult for the government to try to block. That's if you believe that the government has some forward-thinking strategy and, you know, kind of planning on any of that, which, you know, we, we, we could argue about. So it's a good week, I think, in that respect. Yeah, it seems going back to that debate, um, kind of what I take out in, in a way is uh, Coinbase or the crypto world or some part of the crypto world is asking for, for clarity in order to move forward. Um, the SEC, they're saying there is clarity, but uh, there is really not. And when they're asking for, for more clarity, they're not getting anything back um, and it seems to me like they're on a, on a standby and Gary Gensler he said a comment that was a little confusing but it gave me some kind of hint of where his mind was going um, when he commented about the Detroit thing with uh, you know when the car industry that they could have like re give the regulations and, and give kind of the clarity before uh, the explosion, but he kind of said that if they did that, they would have killed a lot of the selling cars on, on the market if they put the regulations before. What do you make out of that comment or, or what's yeah, your I, opinion on that? I, I was a little bit confused by the comment because I don't think that that's how it worked. I think that if one thing is clear is that Detroit and the auto market had to be kicked screaming and dragging their feet into seat belts, into security, into safety, into a lot of things that came exogenously from Japanese competition, from government, from Ralph Nader, from a lot of different things. So I don't really see as a good example where the government stepped in and established rules for it to work. Second thing is for no, but it seems like what I understand what he said there is like they didn't in purpose put the regulations before 
in order not to kill the market. And they put the regulations after once kind of the market. Exploded. So if you read it, I honestly, when I listened to it, I heard both, right? So okay. I heard him saying we didn't do it. And then after that, I heard how fantastic it would be if they had done it. So oh, like, okay. I, you know, like. That's a good point. I didn't read it like that. You know, I, I heard both. So honestly, and, and I probably should go and listen to it again. The, the second piece is that, um, that excuse, or let's put it this way, if the argument is that wouldn't it be fantastic if we put some simple rules for everybody to follow because it would clarify the market, is an argument which is used in Europe all the time to destroy every possible opportunity for innovation across uh, that continent. I say that exaggerating, of course, but uh, I've heard that so many times and I've heard in the mind of investors, in the mind of entrepreneurs, that market clarification by the regulator or the government is a prerequisite to certain particular products getting launched or innovation happening. And I find that to be kind of the antithesis of what happens in the US. Pretty much every, you know, kind of every large innovation, every paradigm shift, every significant turn in 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 you know innovation has generally been undertaken without much clarity the clarity comes in after the excesses are evident and that's kind of the the, the term safe harbor that kind of allows that to happen exactly right? enforcement can, can can also you know like maybe in the 80s people had a sense that insider trading was too prevalent so they had to do a lot of you know very you know, uh, uh, Giuliani on a podium uh, uh, action against insider traders in order to get people to take it more seriously or, you know, enforcement has its role as well and when there are excesses and so on and so forth. But usually the regulator comes in later and kind of, you know, cleans up a few things and some people even get grandfathered when it's not egregious. Very often certain things that you were allowed to do before, you're not allowed to do later, but you don't really get hurt too much for having done it first. By doing that, we create generally large markets, which are uh, inefficient, possibly. So, for example, think of it this way, right? The current market has very high gas fees, has uh, expensive trading commissions uh, on uh, on the parts of, of exchanges and so on and so forth, that uh, if you go to Europe, for example, and you look at uh, how the internet and broadband was rolled out, the government had a direct role in establishing pricing, and it actually accomplished certain particular uh, 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 penetration goals and the ability to get ubiquitous, to get uh, broadband adopted very widely, very rapidly across Europe in uh, 2000s, right? Because it intervened and it put in those rules. So that that's an often used example of how well it is, whereas in in, in the US it was always organic and, you know, they, they, they built out the, the, the infrastructure where it was more profitable first so that you still have a rural problem with internet distribution in, in the US, which is less of a problem in Europe. Having said that, this always happens after the innovation has come, right? Now it's a question of broadening, democratizing something which is available as opposed to the innovation phase. This in crypto, where we are now, we're really in the innovation phase. It's just things getting thrown at a wall. Nobody knows what's going to work. And in order to choose, so for example, go back to XRP, to Ethereum, right? This whole analysis supposedly that's out there, in the minds of the regulator, 2017, 2018, 2019, where for some reason Ethereum was perfect, but XRP was not, 
feels a little mm, a little bit like picking winners and losers without enough of a mature thought out uh, disciplined analysis uh, at least from the outside right um, usually it's better well now let's not say this let's put let, let's put it this way it is usually the case in the US that the regular steps in once they've had a chance to think through a bunch of things rather than preemptively trying to organize a market. It would be good if it remains so, my sense is, because it would be good. On the other hand, I think that it always results in worse headlines. There's going to be, you know, Mount Goxes and which wasn't here, it was in Japan, but you know, like people or BitConnect or any of the bad things that are going to happen in crypto will happen. And therefore, there's much more caveat emptor. There's much more of a need for the buyer to be informed. Um, and that's another subject, by the way, the concept of investor protection. Should you argue that investors need to be as protected in 2021 as they did in 1933? Yeah, oh, that's you know. an interesting point. Because it seems that uh, one of the main focuses of the SEC, specifically when Barry Gensler was talking, is about investor protection, which... Uh, I can see that investors are very exposed in the crypto world uh, to, to scams or, or just to, they, they don't know how much failure could, it's possible. could the future for, forecast uh, in, in most of these projects. I mean, the thing is that right now there's a whole battle, particularly with XRP, with the letter of the law, perhaps. The spirit of the law seems reasonably straightforward, which is that if somebody raises money to make an enterprise, to try to create something that didn't exist in order to make it a profitable or accomplish something of value, then there should be some reporting requirements, there should be some standardization, the information should be structured in a certain particular way in order for investors to be able to see it. That's something that is very well understood, that has existed for a while, that if you're a public company or decide to be so, you have to jump through a bunch of hoops. And particularly... In the case of investor protection, when we go back to Sarbanes-Oxley and some of the things that happened uh, 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 20 years ago, 10 to 20 years ago, there was a lot of requirements that were put on to public companies to disclose more and more information. There's some draft regulation about trying to disclose the impact that you have on climate change. I mean, there's a lot of information that the government likes asking of public companies in order. And as a result, there are fewer public companies than probably they could be, or certainly companies are going public much later in their growth cycle. And it has put a damper on, you know, kind of a universe of smaller companies that used to do it, even though SPACs now have, have, have kind of, I'm guessing, playing that role currently. Let's not get into that. But as a result, so you have that one thing, which is like, okay, if somebody is raising some money in order to do something of value, why shouldn't you get some reporting? And for the moment, all these protocols, when they airdrop a token or they issue an ICO or in the crypto stuff world, in crypto world, right, there's not a whole lot of... Standard, there's no standardized communication. These teams don't have to tell you much of anything at all, right? There's just trades and they tell you whatever they want to tell you. And, and the risk with that is like they can just take the money and run. Of course. And so many other things. And then there's hacking risk and technology risk. We've talked about it. There's regulatory risk. There's market risk. There's uh, uh, technology and security risks. And then on the other side, which is on the note side, which is that if you borrow money from somebody else, then the instrument should be somewhat fungible. It should be some register. There should also be some information about the creditworthiness. So here, instead of 
being interested in knowing how your investment is doing and the money that you gave to the company directly or indirectly, how is it doing in terms of building that value there on the bond side, on the note side of the act is more this sense of, hey, let's understand what my credit risk is so that over time, if I'm lending money or putting money in, a, uh, let's just say simplifying lending money or buying a security, which is essentially is a loan to an entity, then that entity I would like to keep tabs on. I'd like to understand what their profitability was last week or you know last quarter or last year or how it changes and material events and all kinds of filings that tell me or enable me and force the company to reveal pieces of information which are material, right? So there's a whole structure or there's a whole spirit behind the act, behind, you know, uh, what was there for investor protection, which is to say, look, if you raise money to go and build value, if you borrow money in order to return it later and pay some interest, you should be disclosing some information about who you are and what you do in order for people to try to understand what risks they're taking. Fantastic. Not a bad idea. The question again is how onerous, how expensive are those requirements compared to the risk? Also a question of babying or somewhat managing the expectation of the buyer. Like, you know, can you get self-regulatory organizations, can you get entities to do that based upon their reputation? So, for example, Coinbase will tell you that they go through a whole process before they list any token to try to understand how concentrated is the ownership, who can do what, how secure is it, and so on and so forth. And therefore, the sense is that if you buy something on Coinbase, it'll take longer for something to get listed on Coinbase because they pay more attention. Therefore, if you're buying it on Coinbase, it's a higher quality project and so on and so forth, right? It's not the SEC. Yeah, yeah. kind of filtering. Kind of filtering, self-regulation, right? So... um, Not sure how much guarantees. So so, so that's a debate, right? And and you could see where there's a line. Now, what becomes really interesting is when there are projects when there is essentially no way to provide information in a way that the government would like, right? So if you are an address and you come to a protocol to exchange a particular security, sorry, even me, I screwed that one up, a token uh, uh, for another token. um, Let's say you go to Uniswap, you go to SushiSwap, you go to any of these things and you try to swap two tokens. You don't have to declare who you are. You don't have to, I mean, and, and very often it can even be a, a, a smart contract. It could be not even a human that's actually doing this. It could be some rebalancing. It could be some, you know, some margin equalization. It could be an automatic program. It could be escrowing. A release of escrow. It could be any of these things that are now happening that don't necessarily uh, pertain to a moral or individual person. And therefore, there are some protocols out there where it will never be able, as it exists today, to be able to give the government information about something, whether it's KYC or anti-know your customer or anti-money laundering, any of that stuff. And so the mere existence of that protocol, of that tool, is, you know, uh, is inconsistent with some of the objectives that the government has in reporting. So, for example, the infrastructure bill has a provision where Every company uh, uh, has uh, every company and, and also the associated bank has to report to the IRS any payment anywhere of six hundred dollars in whatever form, right? So just so they can keep tab of any distribution of six hundred dollars in any way, right? 
well, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, like the banks, because they process in their database and they can add a rule and they can do some code and all that kind of stuff. They can do that. It will happen. You know, Bank of America can come and do that. But none of these protocols, unless the they're crypto, forced crypto, crypto protocols, yeah. will do that natively. You would have to force them to do it. It would be unlikely that they would, and they would still be available if they didn't. Uh, enforce those rules. It'd be available because it's an internet protocol and you, they'd just be hosted somewhere else in the United States. So it just gets very messy. The point I'm trying to make is that there are certain things that you can imagine the regulator and the Coinbase, for example, negotiating. You can, you can see those two coming to an acceptance as to what is an acceptable practice and what is not, right? And then there are certain protocols and certain things out there that there's, there's no logic to the protocol if it's going to work within the system because that's not the point. So now, again, the regulator has a choice. They can either ignore it, which is what they're doing now, not for long, but they're just letting them do their thing. They can go after the owners and anybody who's invested in it. I get that. But ultimately, it's a piece of code that could be even open source. So now you've got to go after people who tribute their time or to... You know, imagine an open protocol, right? Imagine that Uniswap or any of these things were actually not a token, but they were actually an open protocol that allowed you to sort of do certain things, and they were available, and they were out there, and they existed. Are they going to go after piracy? Are they going to go after every hoster that hosts the code? And now if it's distributed, and it gets very, very messy as you get to the edge of all this. There's definitely a piece that can be regulated, a piece that can be negotiated, and then there's this other stuff that I think... Again, going back to uh, what Gensler said, is just a small part of a small part of what they have to do. And it's honestly just a pain for them. It just gives them a you know, brain freeze, just headache to have to try to figure out what they're going to do because they don't even really understand the systems necessarily all that well. So, don't know, right? I mean, like, that could be a mess. They could go, they could overstep, they could ban a bunch of things. They could make sure that Coinbase never offers to the general public. They can definitely threaten Coinbase to not uh, provide access to certain things that they really don't like. But then again, the tools to try to get them is just opening your browser and going somewhere to do some certain things. Uh, and I don't know if, you know, if somebody voluntarily reports what they do and so on and so forth. The fact that it's possible to use it in a way... The thing that the government wants and likes is the idea that they can, if you have a banking license, if you're Bank of America, I can force you to report all this because there's a law in the books that if you're domiciled or if you operate in the United States, you must report, let's say, the $600 transaction. At that particular point, it's over. Everybody knows about it. The compliance officer, the legal system, everybody at each of these individual institutions executes it. It gets done. It happens. They do with, with the information what they want. The problem now is you have protocols that sit outside and where their impact on it is uncertain. Um, we're going down a rabbit hole a little bit. but Yeah, and it seems like that those are the ones they're going to go after. They just don't want these protocols to be outside of the regulations, right? Of their, of their reach, yeah. So... Um, just to recap a little bit, what, what do you what do you make right now of in, 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 in a few words or in a few sentences of where's the debate now? Where we're we going with all this? Yeah, I think so. I think that the macro analysis is still the same. 
I think that uh, the playing field is in the United States. Uh, Europe, I think, will probably crack down more and do certain things because there's more of a risk-adverse and more of a control freak uh, 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 viewpoint to that whole to that whole market. So I wouldn't, you know, again, information coming out of China, information coming out of Europe does not tell me much about the ultimate structure of the crypto market because I expect those to be always more controlling. So I think the, the real marketplace is here, right? And the marketplace of idea here seems to indicate that Bitcoin is a different thing than Ethereum and XRP, which is a different thing from the next 50... Thousand. <laughs> you know, exactly. Projects. So the analysis goes to me as follows, right? I think that... And again, I put it into historical context. We are where we were in 1998, 2000, with tons of protocols, tons of ideas, some ready, some not ready, some where the market thinks that you're going to get paid for something that ultimately will likely be open source or free that nobody really cares uh, about. But at the same time, there's just tons of ideas. And so it's a marketplace of ideas. Now, if you're a trader, momentum, if you understand things, if you understand how to latch onto something, this tremendous volatility. Volatility is good for traders. And a lot uh, of upside. Too. There's some upside. I'm guessing that some people, not me, but can understand and, and, and work through how to time and how to understand what's the next Solana, what's the next AVAX, what's the next XYZ, or how to trade Cardano, or any of these things, right? And, and go into the details of all, all of this and decide that you know, you can make some money on, on, on the volatility of a new market. Although it seems to me that you're looking for four or five, six of these into in, in exactly. thousands of them. Exactly. Uh, so, so to me, I think that what's fascinating in terms of risk profile is that if you're in crypto, Bitcoin is considered to be <laughs> the least risky, the most grandfatherly, the <laughs> the, 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 the most boring uh, part of the spectrum. Ethereum seems to, seems to be a little favor, in favor too. Yeah. In Compared Ethereum, to the other... The, the, the Ethereum, yeah. in my mind, I think is easier because it's a proof of, or moving to proof of stake and easier to understand for institutions for ESG purposes and for mm -hmm. other purposes. And it's also the promise of layer one plus layer two plus decentralized apps altogether. Uh, we can get into all that. But if I look at the risk, I look at market risk, I look at uh, uh, regulatory risk, and I look at kind of hacking and technology risk or obsolescence risk, right? Like, I'm still fairly comfortable that Bitcoin is solid on all of these within the world of crypto. And I like the idea of the positioning that it is extremely risky to a big part of traditional finance, and it is extremely boring to the cutting edge of crypto. So it kind of feels like a Goldilocks uh, 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 that's, a good way. that's a good way to see it. <laughs> so, so you've got that, right? Um, now, where I think, if where we are, I think in the cycle is that we have had a lot of time for a lot of people to have conversations about this, and so you know, the end of October is going to be an interesting one because that's when some 10 Qs are going to come out and where you're going to have some public company reporting. If anybody is going to go out there, it's going to be the tech companies are going to add some 
some to their balance sheets. They should be the first ones to do it. So it'll be, you know, my next piece of information I'm looking for is to figure out if any public companies this year, this quarter, next quarter, soon are going to start adding it even in small size because they want to support the protocol. It would be very natural for any of these people who want to buy payment, who want to build payment rails or have some kind of product associated with payments to put it on their balance sheet, even as a first step, it would be easily understood by their boards and, and shareholders. Um, so the whole question is network adoption and uh, network size and adoption, right? Like, you know, this, um, there's a regulatory move coming for sure. Uh, passively, if without anything happening, we're going to have some more information in the first quarter of next year with the XRP trial and that if it goes to trial and, and, and that resolution. And I think it doesn't look very good for the regulator because I think they picked the wrong target. But again, personal opinion. Uh, but at the same time, I'm pretty sure they're going to do something on something somewhere and the market will probably hate it and everything will go down the way it usually does. And the usual voices will say the things that they are. I would spend my time focused on the things that I think are the more secure or the easiest to understand across. Um, there's a bit of a, a you know, a applied Warren Buffett rule on this one, even though himself probably never touched crypto. But if you can understand it, then that's good. If it takes a little time and a few aspirins to try to understand what they're trying to do. And again, I'm not the smartest person by any stretch. Um, maybe, you know, kind of Take your time. There's also credit risk. There's also hacking risk in a number of these protocols. So there's a lot of promise on the edges, perhaps. Um, and, and this is going to be built out. I mean, I, I don't have a doubt that the structural issues that exist on the macro side with uh, loose monetary policy, with the general concept of adding software to money, on uh, making things programmable, on th there's, there's a lot to build there. And it will be built. And it is logical that, you know, this this, this will happen in the next 20 years. Um, I, I th I'm optimistic. I am. All right. Well, that was a very interesting conversation. We'll see what happens in the foreseeable future. And I think uh, generally it's not bad news. It seems like at least the uh, dialogue is starting and there's some communication even with, uh, you know, even within a gray area, there's, there's, there's uh, an effort to communicate. Anyways, uh, Hope you have a great day. Thanks everyone to listen for listening to us and enjoy your weekend. Thanks so much. Take care.